Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Tony Hernandez, and you're listening to the Immigrant Archive Project podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into the recesses of our archive to bring you the voices behind some of our more fascinating conversations. If you enjoy the stories we share and want to help us bring you more, please join with hundreds of other donors and make a tax-deductible contribution to the Immigrant Archive Project. Thanks to many of you, we've been able to collect thousands of immigrant testimonies, which are now being proudly archived at the U.S. Library of Congress. If you'd like to help us expand our work, please go to ImmigrantArchiveProject.org and click on the Donate button. That's ImmigrantArchiveProject.org and click on the Donate button. Thank you. I'm Tony Hernandez, and once again, this is the Immigrant Archive Project podcast. Our guest this week is Ian Grosher, better known to many as DJ Irie. Irie could be the poster child for the immigrant hustle. This St. Croix native turned the knack for spinning music into a multi-million dollar empire and a champagne and jet-setting lifestyle that quite frankly is difficult to put into context. His close friends include Jamie Foxx, Martha Stewart, Damon John, and President Joe Biden. In Miami, summers officially kick in with Irie Weekend, a lavish weekend event which draws sold-out crowds across the city's top venues and raises hundreds of thousands of dollars for music education for inner-city youth. Irie is able to produce and scale successful multi-day luxe events by relying on his own collection of enterprises that specialize in talent booking, sponsorship marketing, and event production. While a single DJ performance can earn Irie a six-figure sum for literally one night's work, his boutique agencies together employ 10 full-time staff and earns in the neighborhood of $10 million annually. I was eager to get Irie's backstory, so naturally I was thrilled when he agreed to take a break from his hectic schedule to sit with me on camera. So pay close attention. This conversation is filled with invaluable life lessons. My name is Ian Grosher, uh, also known as DJ Irie. Um, my background is, is from the island of Jamaica, that's where my entire family's from. Uh, but I am American, born in uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Croix. Even though, you know, people might 
think of the, the, the typical Jamaican family as being extremely strict and extremely harsh. Uh, I enjoyed a great relationship, you know, with my family, a very open relationship with my family. You know, uh, they're very supportive of pretty much anything I wanted to do. You know, uh, they weren't uh, the, the, the smothering type, you know. Um, if I wanted to go out and hang out with, uh, with the fellas, you know, that was all me as long as, you know, I was home at a decent hour, you know, um, the schools that I went to I actually went to a lot of private schools early on. Uh, that's one thing about my parents. They were very, very, uh, strict and very, very, uh, serious about education. So they didn't think they weren't big believers in the public school system. Um, they always wanted, they always compared, uh, my education to the education that they had back in Jamaica. So uh, they were constantly searching for the highest level, um, you know, of, of, of academics uh, that Miami had to offer. So I was bouncing from school to school. Every time they hear about the school being better, okay, cool, send them there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I went to quite a few schools. Um, not that I was a bad kid, but just that they were always seeking to have me, you know, being the best, you know. Uh, but it was cool because I'm, I'm a very you know, personable person. I always made new friends and um, I always, you know, retained the friends that I had before. So, you know, I ended up having just a lot of great relationships, having a lot of fun. And uh, it was good. It was a really, really good childhood uh, growing up in Miami. As a kid, your mom was a nurse at the time, no? Mm -hmm. What did your dad do? G give me a sense of their background. Uh, my mom uh, was a registered nurse. Uh, my dad ended up uh, working with uh, Sears. Um, he was a, 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 tech, a technical manager. So they basically worked at the, um, the repair shops, uh, that, that Sears had, and he would pretty much manage, um, the staff and oversee, uh, the, the television and, and refrigerator and dishwasher repairs. He was a very, very, you know, technical guy like that. You know, I learned a lot from him how to, how to fix stuff. <laughs> So I understand your parents moved around quite a bit, right? They, they, they were Jamaican, you grew up in Miami, yet you were born in St. Croix. Like, how'd that happen? Uh, well, you know, like I said, my parents uh, were from Jamaica. My dad uh, is from the capital, Kingston. Uh, my mom is from a parish called St. Anne's, particularly Brownstown. Um, you know, they got married in Jamaica, um, had two kids, um, two brothers, you know, I'm the, I'm the baby. <laughs> Um, but before I popped out, uh, my mom got a, an offer, uh, to work, to practice, uh, nursing in the Virgin Islands in St. Croix. And, uh, for them, it was a great opportunity. She'd you know, you'd be making a lot more money and a lot more benefits. Uh, so the family was uprooted and moved to St. Croix. And for them, it was kind of a, at the time, that was a pretty easy move because of the same kind of island lifestyle. Um, but actually it turned out to be a lot different because St. Croix is a lot smaller <laughs> than Jamaica, you know? Um, so when they got over there, they did enjoy it for a time. I popped out. <laughs> I popped out in St. Croix, um, cruising. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't long that they kind of outgrew the island, if, if you know what I mean. You know, they kind of felt like the island was a little too small for them. Um, and, uh, the kind of same situation came up with uh, an opportunity in California, in LA for my mom to practice nursing. And um, they then uprooted again and moved to California, moved to LA. But when they moved to LA, they were constantly, well, from the Virgin Islands, they were constantly going back to Jamaica to visit the family, you know, because they each had their parents there and they had brothers and sisters back on the island, um, you know, cousins and all that. So they, was, they were always going back to visit. 
um, when they moved to Los Angeles, they took the first visit back. They were like, hell no, this is way too far. <laughs> they were not trying to take, you know, that long of a trip to go back every time. So they said, we got to get a little bit closer um, to the island. So they discovered Galveston, Texas. Moved to Galveston. You know, my mom got a great nursing job there as well. Uh, I think that's where my dad started working with Sears as well. And uh, so they were in Galveston, Texas. Uh, they took that trip from uh, Galveston, Texas to Jamaica. They said, better, but still a little too far. <laughs> Broke out a map. They were like, bam, <laughs> we need to go here, Miami. <laughs> that's about as close as we're going to get. So that's literally how we ended up in Miami. They wanted to be as close to Jamaica as possible. Um, and once getting to Miami, they found out there, were, there was also a pretty pretty good size, uh, you know, Jamaican population living in Miami already, you know, so uh, then some of their uh, brothers and sisters started moving uh, to Miami as well. And uh, it ended up being the, uh, the grocery home <laughs> for a lot of our family. And that's how we pretty much ended up in Miami. You mentioned Miami during our conversation. And obviously, there's a large Jamaican community here in Miami. So I'm sure your parents felt, uh, you know, very much at home. Um, Looking back, would you say you were raised in a typical Jamaican family? Uh, I was definitely raised in a typical Jamaican household. Um, where we lived, there wasn't very many other Jamaicans in that particular neighborhood. Um, but the fact that, you know, my dad's brothers were living here. Uh, my mom didn't really have family here, but my dad, he has a lot of brothers. And I think three of his brothers at the time were living here. And they, they had kids as well. So we we're constantly going uh, to visit them, you know. Um, and, and it was, it was, it was a very tight family in that, in that sense, you know, but it was definitely the typical Jamaican family in terms of, you know, uh, the, the cuisine, you know, the cooking, you know, everything, you know, we, we have the curry, you know, and, and the, and the ackee and the bammy, you know, and all those, you know, different, uh, you know, Jamaican, uh, dishes, you know, that was, that was, you know, dinner every day, you know, or, or breakfast. Um, my mom was the kind of mother that didn't really believe much in like, you know, things like fast food or always going out to eat. Like she made breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day and did her job full time, you know, and make sure we had everything that we needed, you know? Um, and that's pretty much indicative of, 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 of a Jamaican house, you know, uh, academics were, were, were stressed, <laughs> you know, you come home, you know, it's, it's, it's work before you play, you know, you come home, you get your homework done, you know, you get some reading in, then go play all you want. You know, my dad always said, uh, when you work, work hard, when you play, play hard. You know, but just the work comes before the play, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much what what, uh, what our household was like. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So what would you say your identity was as a kid, right? I mean, you grew up in the States. You were born in St. Croix. Your parents are from Jamaica. It's got to be a complicated sort of self-identity. Can you talk to me uh, a little bit about that? Um, my self-identity as, as a kid straight up was, was, I'm black. <laughs> I'm black, you know, you're not, you're not Caribbean, you're not from the island, you're black. <laughs> straight up, you know. Um, my neighborhood was slightly mixed, 
Um, I, definitely, they're, they're more, probably the black households probably made up 60%. Um, you know, few, probably like 30% Hispanic, right? Um, and maybe another, another 10% or so uh, were, were white American, you know, in, in my particular neighborhood. But one thing that I realized, and at my school as well, a lot of schools, because they're private schools, there weren't very many um, other students from the Caribbean there, you know. Uh, there was a few, you know, black kids, but it was mainly white kids. And the white kids, they weren't all, they weren't about, oh, no, but he's Jamaican. Oh, no, and he's, you were black. <laughs> you know, if you, didn't, if you didn't have skin like them, you were just black, period. And I bought into that. But yeah, I mean, as, as a kid, you know, um, you know, I was, I, I just, I was just black, you know. But when I got into the public school system, where there were a lot more kids from the Caribbean, I started to see that the kids from the Caribbean wanted to distance themselves from the black Americans, right? So a lot of them would hang out together. And then when, you know, a, a white student or a Latino student would, would, you know, categorize them as black, they would immediately say, I'm Jamaican, you know, I'm Haitian, <laughs> you know, because they didn't want to be categorized, um, as black Americans, you know, um, and I thought that was kind of, uh, kind of weird, you know, but at the same point in time, I started to understand, you know, what was going on, um, because they didn't want to let go of their culture. And that's really was the biggest thing, you know, um, no, don't look at me as just, you know, anybody else here My, you know, I have my own culture, you know, um, I have my own country and I'm not letting go of that. And, um, you know, I started to kind of feel that way a little bit too, after actually going to school in Jamaica, you know, being on there for five years, getting to really know the country and getting to love the country, you know, I didn't want to be just tagged, you know, as, as just black either, you know, like, you know, recognize that, Hey, you know what? My family is from this wonderful country and don't forget about it. You know, we're, we have, we're of Jamaican heritage and we're proud of it. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. So you went back to school in Jamaica that happened at what age? Um, I was about, about 13. Early. Yeah, I was about 13. So by 13, I'm, I'm picturing you as this like prototype American kid, right? And, and that's like total acculturation. So, so what was that like? My parents shipped me off to Jamaica. And, and, and when I say shipped off, I was shipped off. <laughs> I was put in a container. <laughs> no, no, when I say I was shipped off, um, the reason why they decided to, uh, to have me go go to school there, go to boarding school there, was uh, my brother um, had actually gotten into a little bit of trouble. Uh, he was hanging out with the wrong element, uh, doing some of the wrong things. Uh, my parents, you know, identified the path that he was going on and was like, hey, not, not over our dead bodies, you know, we're going to step in and do something about it, you know. And, um, you know, what they thought to do was to have him go back, uh, go back home, you know, go back to where um, those influences weren't prevalent. And uh, he came home one day from school. His bags were packed. They're like, hey, we're going to take a ride. <laughs> that ride was to the airport. <laughs> and uh, they put him on a plane and sent him to uh, my, my mother's brother. And uh, he was living with them. And he started you know, going to school down there. And that was, uh, he, he was shipped out over the summer. So by the end of the, that whole summer while he was gone, my parents kept telling, asking me, hey, you, you miss your brother, don't you? And I was like, not really. <laughs> you know, call me now and then, you know, he's good. <laughs> and they kept trying to drop little hints, you know, here and there for me to want to go down there. 
And I never wanted to go down there. Like, I was cool, you know? So finally, at the end of the summer, when it was time to get back to school, they're like, uh, you're going, <laughs> whether you like it or not. And they packed me up and they sent me down too, because uh, for them, they were being proactive. They thought I would eventually go down the same path as my brother and uh, fall victim to the same influences, you know, as my brother did. Um, and uh, they thought they were, they, were, they were doing the right thing, you know? So they sent me down there as well. And um, I thought I was in hell. Literally, um, because, you know, I'm coming from, you know, all the, the, the different luxuries and amenities, you know, of, of, of living in America and living in, in Miami. You know, let's not forget Jamaica is, is a third world country, you know. So a lot of the same luxuries and amenities that, you know, were readily accessible to me here uh, were not as accessible to me uh, in Jamaica. And what would you say you missed the most? Um, I missed my typical, probably my typical weekend, you know. Of you know hanging out with, with 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 my friends and going to see the latest movie you know uh, and going to the to, to to the all ages party you know what I mean um, you know things like that you know where when I got to Jamaica um, nah it wasn't going to go see <laughs> the latest movie it was like hey we're gonna go play kickball <laughs> you know <laughs> you know we're gonna go play soccer you know. <laughs> Um, that sort of thing. And, you know, I was just so like already engulfed in the whole American lifestyle and, and, and all those you know, different luxuries, you know, you know, and, and at home I had this great stereo system and, you know, and all the TVs and the computers and all these different things I wanted and, and, and my toys and all that stuff, you know, and I had to leave all that stuff behind, you know? So, uh, at the moment I was just thinking about the materialistic things, you know? Um, but it wasn't before long that I started appreciating this living, you know, being making this living and appreciating the smaller things, you know, being able to go out and catch a fresh fish and eating it right there on the spot, you know, with with, with my friends before long. And that became my favorite thing to do, you know, um, going down and seeing a, a reggae show, you know, um, just the, just the, the, the small things where you just really appreciate your, your company. You know, um, those things became pretty important to me. And uh, before long, I forgot about, you know. Going to going to the movies and all that, you know. <laughs> so, would you say you've incorporated any of those early life lessons in your life today? Uh, in my life today, I think I'm a lot easier to be happy. It's a lot easier for me to be happy. You know, uh, I'm not the kind of guy. I mean, I have a lot of friends that you know, you know, the weekend comes around, they've, they've got to hit the hottest party, and they've got to do all these different things. Um, I don't really need those things to to literally be happy. You know. Um, to be honest with you, just given my lifestyle and, and, and what I do, um, I'm perfectly content hanging out at home, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hanging out at home and, and, and maybe having some friends over and to, 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 to cook, you know, make some food and have a, have a, a good meal and, and, and catch up. You know, I'm totally content with that, you know, and actually sometimes a lot happier doing that um, than being at the hottest uh, party or nightclub or whatever have you. You know, and I think I learned that from my time in Jamaica. Going back to your lifestyle for a moment, you know, you you look at your career and what you've accomplished, and you know, literally, man, you could be you could be this like poster child, right, for an immigrant achieving the American dream in his given field. Mm -hmm. In your eyes, is the American dream still alive and available? Uh, the American dream is very much alive and very much available. It's how bad you want it, you know. And, uh, you know, I look at a lot of the people that I interact with, a lot of my, a lot of my friends and, you know, especially the ones from the Caribbean, you know, um, from Latin America from, from and immigrants from different parts of, of the world, actually, you know, 
And, you know, sometimes, you know, I look at them, I look at, you know, how they started out, I look at the opportunities that have been afforded to them and uh, what they've done with them. And, and I'm inspired, you know, it, it, it inspires me, you know, and then some of them, you know, um, they may not have, have excelled the way that others have, you know, and I kind of ask myself, you know, why? And so I ask them why, you know, like, you know, hey, these wonderful opportunities are here at your fingertips, but you're not, you're not taking hold of them, you know, why is that? And, um, you know, they ended up sometimes just being content with, with what they're doing. Other times they, they, they felt like they didn't believe that they could do it. You know, they didn't believe that they have the, the talent, you know, or the drive or, or the know-how to make something out of it, you know? And I asked them, well, you know, you have so many great examples around you. You know, how could you not, not understand that? How can you not believe that, you know? And the answer is, I don't know. And that kind of pulls me sometimes, you know? Because a lot of the most successful people that, that I know, and I try to surround myself with pretty successful people, you know, um, when I look at them and look at their drive, you know, they have made the most special and significant things out of absolutely nothing, you know? And I think America is one of the few places, you know, on the planet that you can do that, you know? Um, so the American dream is, is, is very, very much alive. Um, the, the tools are there, the opportunities are there. Um, but it takes, you know, getting up off of your, you know what, and getting it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's for sure. You know, as, as you were growing up, man, I just can't help having the sense that your parents, you know, they must have sacrificed a great deal, right? Yeah. You know, especially to get your siblings and you to be where you are right now. So as you, as you were coming up, look back, looking back on that experience, did you ever have this sense of responsibility to them? Yeah. You know, that like, oh man, I, I've got to get this right, you know, because they've, they've been through so much in order to help you and your siblings sort of become successful. Did, did there ever come a point where, where you felt that, where, where, where that became sort of a, a thing for you? Uh, my parents went through quite a bit. Uh, they, so many sacrifices. You know, and, and, and I, this is something that, that really touches me um, because I didn't realize, especially going through high school, I didn't really realize the kind of sacrifices that they were making. You know, it wasn't until I got a lot older, getting into college, that, that, that I realized. And um, it almost brought me to tears, you know, because, you know, a lot of my uh, friends at the time, you know, their parents were, you know, driving the nicest cars and, you know, they're going on the nicest vacations. And, um, you know, my parents didn't drive the nicest car. You know, we weren't going to Disney World <laughs> on vacation, you know. And I was like, well, man, you know, you know, mom has a great job and dad has a great job. You know, why aren't they doing these things? You know, until I realized how much money <laughs> it costs to send me to these private schools, you know, um, how much money it costs to, to, to have me and my brother flying back and forth you know, to Jamaica and, and Miami and having me boarding with different families, um, they said, hey, you know what, rather than spending money on these luxuries, you know, let's make sure our kids have the best opportunities they, they can have, you know? And I didn't really realize that at the time, you know, to the point where when I did get back to Miami um, and got back to high school here, um, I was doing very well in high school. Um, I was very focused to the point where I got a scholarship to go to FIU. 
right? And um, everybody was so happy about it. My parents were super happy. I was super happy about it. I uh, got into FIU, and then everything changed. <laughs> everything changed. Um, you know, I kind of got you know into that whole like you know party scene, and you know that's when my my the, the first parts of my career actually started taking form because people started asking me to DJ like you know these different parties. And uh, for me at the time, I wasn't looking at it as anything serious, as, as as a job or as something to be responsible with. I was just like, man. I get to play these cool records and I get some money. <laughs> like, this is great. I want to do it every day, <laughs> you know? And I put the priority on that and not on my academics to the point where come my second year in, in college, I lost my scholarship, you know? But I was so deathly scared <laughs> to go back to my parents and say, hey, I lost my scholarship, you know? Um, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to handle the repercussions. Um, so... I grew up and I grew up quick and all those, you know, Jordan's shoes and the rims for the car stuff that I was buying, you know, with, with my DJ money, all that stopped immediately. I said, you know what? I am lucky to, to have a way to, to earn some, earn some cash. Um, I got to pay for my tuition. I got to buy my books. You know, I got to do everything status quo <laughs> for my parents so they don't think anything's going on, you know? So I started using my own money and paying my tuition. Lots of scholarship. You know, I started paying my own tuition. I started buying my own books, you know, and taking care of all of my responsibilities. Um, and then when you start paying for your own school, you're not going to be screwing around in class, you know? So even though I was working until 5 in the morning and I had to be at class at 8 a.m., I was there at 8 a.m., bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, listening to every word the professor was saying and making sure I took it all in because I was not about to waste my hard-earned money, you know? And I was kind of, I guess it was kind of like a lesson that I, that I taught myself. Um, but it wasn't until I graduated college that I was like, hey, mom, you know, dad, you know, I lost my scholarship, right? <laughs> and they're like, what? They're like, well, why'd you tell us? Why, you know, how'd you, how'd you do that? I said, you know what? I, I worked. And it was actually probably the best thing. Because, you know, my grades went right back up and, um, you know, I ended up, you know, graduating uh, with honors, you know, and they were so proud of me. Um, but it was a lesson that, that, that I ended up teaching myself and I ended up being very, very grateful for opportunities ever since then. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And today, if you could say, like, the one thing you're the proudest of, what would that be? Um... There's a lot for me to be proud of, you know, with myself and, and with what I've done with my career. But I would say what I'm most proud of is creating opportunity. You know, uh, I've been extremely fortunate, extremely blessed uh, to have the kind of career that, that I've had. I've met some wonderful people uh, and I've been able to open up some doors who have for people that have a similar passion and that have wanted to take a similar path, you know, as myself. You know, um, I wasn't really. Uh, fortunate in the sense of when I started on my career path to have people kind of, you know, reach out to me and say, Hey, you know what? Here's a good place for you to, to play. Here's a good place for you to DJ. Hey, I'm going to talk to this guy and get you in here. I didn't really have a lot of that. Um, at my time, it was literally just, 
you know, going out, hitting the streets and looking for, you know, where I fit in, you know, and, and when I when I did fit in somewhere, it was proving that that I fit in there. You know, um, I've been able to really open up a lot of doors for uh, for other people, other DJs um, to kind of, you know, take their careers to the next level, you know. Um, and I think that's that's an amazing, amazing thing. You know, it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of because uh, people are actually living out their dreams. Um, and I've been able to help them do that. You know, um, I do uh, a few events throughout the year, charitable events. Uh, one of them uh, is coming up. It's called Irie Weekend. Um, it's a weekend of, of, of golf, uh, a concert, different different um, elements. Um, but all of it raises money for Big Brothers, Big Sisters um, of Greater Miami Um organization that I'm very fond of because they change lives, you know, they spend a lot of time with these kids that the, the mentors spend a lot of time with these kids. A lot of these kids come from very troubled areas. Um, and all they need someone to reach out and say, Hey, you know what? I got you. I'm going to show you the right way. You know, when you have a question, I'm going to be here to answer it for you, you know? And, and when you want to just, just, just hang out, we can just hang out, <laughs> you know? Um, but what they do is really show kids that, that they care about them and give them a, a higher sense of hope and responsibility. Um, and I've been able to, to do quite a bit to support them over the years. And that, that feels great. I'm very proud of that. So if you could speak directly to, let's call them the xenophobic voices out there, right? The anti-immigrant crowd. If you could sort of tell them one thing about the immigrant or the immigrant journey, what is it about that experience that you'd like for them to know? Um, I would tell people like that to really open their eyes. You know, to really, really open their eyes. Uh, there's quite a bit going on in this country. Um, it's not very hard to see the negative because the negative makes the front page all the time. You know, it makes the, e- the evening news all the time. So it's not very hard. You have to, to, to search very, very hard uh, to see the negative that happens, you know, not just with, with immigrants, but, you know, people that are from, from the States, you know? Um, but you have to dig a lot deeper to find the positive, even though there's so much out there. There's so much. The contributions that immigrants have made to this, to this, uh, country, um, you can, you can, you can hardly count. You can hardly count because there's so many untold stories, you know? Um, but people like myself exist. I am here. I'm someone that's been a very positive influence on my community. You know, and there are people like me all over the country, you know, from all over the world. And it doesn't, it's not that hard. All you have to do is open your eyes and look and give it a chance. You know, um, so many of, of, of the, uh, these different people that are in these, these, these very, uh, big positions where they have a voice, you know, um, and they have an audience and, you know, all they do is preach this negativity, especially towards immigrants and, and, and how they're perceived. Um, in, in the country, um, it has a double negative effect because not only um, does it weigh hard on the immigrants that are making a positive contribution, um, the ones that could be possibly making that positive contribution, it demoralizes them. You know, and it's like, well, why should I be positive? Why should I, you know, do the right thing? No one's going to care. You know, but a lot of people do care because for every single one of them that's negative, there's going to be four or five people uh, that are in powerful positions that do care you know, and that will be supportive. Um, and that's what you have to listen to. You know, we have to tune out that negativity, you know, and really uplift the positivity. You know, and I hope, <laughs> I truly, truly hope, you know, one of these days, um, you know, the, the, the Bill O'Reilly's and Brush Limbaugh's and all these guys, you know, can really, truly open their eyes and appreciate the contributions of, of immigrants because they are very, very plenty.
So what's your relationship with Jamaica now? I mean, like, are you following Jamaican news? Do you go back off? And like, like, like what's that relationship like with Jamaica? I enjoy a wonderful relationship uh, with Jamaica now. Uh, I think probably the best thing about that country uh, in my relationship with it now is that I pretty much have my parents' perspective, meaning that, you know, I have a, a little son now. Um, he was born in Miami. It's going to be four in August. And um, he's been to Jamaica <laughs> probably more times than I did as a youngster. Um, and that's because I want to make sure he knows about it and experiences it from an early, early age, you know, so he doesn't have the, the stigmatism of, you know, the different luxuries and amenities of, of Miami. He, he, I want him to feel like it's his country as well, because it is, you know, um, and that that makes me very, very proud, you know, to, to walk him down the beach and say, hey, listen, you know, th this is your beach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, this is your food. You know, these are your people, you know, um, and to see him start to assimilate. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's just something that came to my mind was, uh, he had never had tea. <laughs> he had never had tea, uh, in Miami, uh, or with his mom. His mom's from a different, uh, culture as well. Um, and my mom made him some tea, uh, one of the first times he was home. And now he doesn't stop asking for tea in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that, that to me is something really, really big, you know, to see him start to, you know, assimilate and accept a lot of the things that are, are common, you know, in, in Jamaican culture, you know? Um, so, and I, I stay on top of, of, of all the news and all the happenings that are going on down there. And you know, even like right now, it's kind of a, you know, a bit of a, a trying time with what's going on in Kingston, um, with, you know, a little bit of unrest, you know? Um, but, you know, Jamaicans are, are very resilient people, you know, they're very, very resilient. Um, and it's all about, you know, finding a way to, to, to maintain the peace and, and, and maintain the progress, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, that's exactly what, what they will do and that's exactly what's happening now, you know? But I, I love that country very, very dearly. Uh, it will always be in my heart and I will always be going back to, uh, to be a part of it. In closing, knowing what you know now, right? Having been through what you've been through, if you could give some concise advice to a young immigrant family that's just arriving in the U.S. today, what would you say? I would say, first and foremost, uh, being an immigrant, I think a lot of times um, as being fresh into coming, you feel like you're at a disadvantage. Being an immigrant is probably the biggest advantage, I would say. And the reason why is, you know, you're coming to this country with, 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 at least personally, with a clean slate, you know, with a fresh perspective, you know, um, you know, without these negative influences, whatever, you're coming in to make it whatever you want to make it, you know, look at it as an advantage, you know, um, a lot of people in America right now that are born, they may only speak English, you know, um, they may only have, you know, American influences, you know, you're coming in automatically with another advantage because, you know, you may speak your country's language, you know, um, you may have a different perspective, you know, and it's those things you need to draw upon that will give you an advantage every single time. You know, this is a new America. You know, we see how the Latin population is growing. You know, we see how the Caribbean population is growing, you know. It's all about being a part of that network. It's all about feeding off of that positive energy. 
you can do so much. So instead of feeling like, you know, you are an, you're, you're automatically an outsider or you're automatically going to be, you know, outcast, whatever. No, grab on, grab on to that network, you know, um, and, and, and uplift yourself because you really have an advantage. It's an advantage being an immigrant, in my opinion. Irie's success, like that of so many successful immigrants, is born out of a combination of raw talent and old-school hustle. The man, as you've seen, is a tireless force of nature who's managed to build an empire while never forgetting who he is or where he comes from. While the star-studded pool parties and private jets are enough to impress the most jaded, what impresses me the most is his desire to remain connected to his immigrant roots and his ability to use those immigrant life lessons to fuel his drive to succeed at every single thing that he does, whether that's expanding his business or raising his family. If you enjoy our podcast, we invite you to visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and a five-star rating. The Immigrant Archive Project is edited and co-produced by Edie Gonzalez. Our director of photography is Daniel Godoy. For more stories, please visit us online at immigrantarchiveproject.org. I'm Tony Hernandez. Thank you for listening. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.